everybody. Welcome to episode 31 of The Book Cougars, two middle-aged women on the hunt for a good read. I'm Emily. And I'm Chris. And I am particularly happy to be sitting in my chair across from Chris today because... Um, well, tell us why, Emily. <laughs> <laughs> we, we had a little mini... Um, a mini hurricane. A mini hurricane major storm <laughs> yesterday. And I've been so out of it because I traveled to Vermont last week and then I flew on Friday morning to Denver to visit my daughter and... It, I get a text from Chris and one other friend here that says, you know, are you going to make it home before the storm? And I'm like, what storm? You know, I'm in dry Denver. Anyway, needless to say, I took off on time last night, but had one of the bumpiest flights of my life. They tried to land us in Hartford, kept trying, kept trying, like down and up, down and up, and then eventually rerouted us to Philly. Oh, wow. Where we landed and sat and sat and sat on the tarmac for an hour to get more fuel, wherein they sent us back to Hartford. Wow. So I landed at 3.30 last oh night. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so, um, and, you know, I'm a pretty seasoned traveler, but I have to say there was a point last night where I was like, this is a really bad idea yeah. to be in an airplane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because we had gusts, like 40 to 60 yeah. mile per hour gusts last night. It was pretty intense. Yeah. yeah. It was intense up in the sky, too. I'm yeah. here to report. And I have this thing with traveling where it's like, just don't give me too much information. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I'm sure there's a lot you know, but I just need to know when I'm going to be somewhere, you yeah. know. So at one point, the flight attendant gets on and she says, uh, folks, you probably noticed there's some weather. Uh, the pilots are up front. I'm like, well, that's a good thing. I think that's where they're supposed to be better than the alternative. <laughs> um, there's lots of other planes flying around us. And I was like, I don't want to know that. That doesn't make me feel good, yeah. you know. So anyway, it was like too much information. Just tell me what the plan is, mm -hmm. you know. So she said, we're landing, we're diverting to Philly, you know, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, well, we had friends from L.A. in for a long weekend visit, and they started getting texts from the air airline saying, I think on like Saturday, saying, you might want to change your flight because it might mm. be dicey getting out of town. Mm. But um, their flight was at 5, and I don't think... Things started getting really windy until like nine o'clock or yeah. so, but it was it, it was, was crazy. It was bad, but I, I'm here and yeah. I'm glad to and be here. And you look pretty good for getting home at three thirty in the morning. <laughs> yeah, I uh, know I landed at three thirty. So anyway, oh, landed. Yes, yeah. um, it's all good. Well, it's a good thing you made it home too, because there were tons of downed trees and power yeah. lines. A lot of people in the state lost power. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad it's not you know cold. That's mm -hmm. the one nice thing I will say, because then you have to worry about your pipes freezing and all that. Because people, some people are without power, but. But now it's a beautiful sunny day, although it's a little windy, so. Ted, yeah. Well, welcome back. Good Thank to have you. you back. Good to see you. I know we haven't seen each other in a, in a spell, in a as spell. they say down yeah. south. <laughs> well, so here we are. We wanted to just clarify something from the last episode, episode 30, where I didn't clarify something. I, I said something about Muslim populations being a problem, and what I meant to say was that Muslim populations have had problems, like in Germany and France. Um, we didn't want to imply that they were the problem. Right. So just to clarify that. Yeah. When we were talking about racial issues and cultural clashes right. within communities. So. Right. Yeah. Cool. Little, what is that called? Editorial footnote? Editorial footnote, yes. <laughs> and then we wanted to also talk about, our friend Ryan alerted us to the fact that um, one of our upcoming read-alongs, which isn't until February, mm -hmm. I think, right? Yes, um, the Ian Forster novel. Right, is we've been pronouncing it Maurice. Apparently, some people pronounce it Morris. Morris, yeah. Right. Yeah, so, so. I, I kind of looked, because we haven't seen the movie. Right. And there is a, it's a Hugh Grant movie, right, mm -hmm. when he yeah. was 
12. Right. <laughs> um, but there is a movie out there that we will watch together, I mm-hmm. am imagining. Um, but So Maurice versus Morris. Um, Maurice is originally a French name, and they pronounce it Maurice there. And in the in the States, usually it's Maurice. And then in the UK, from what I've read anyway, it's could be Maurice or Morris. Right. So... I mean, you know, what do you want? What do you feel, Emily? What, well, see, what I was going to say, with? you know, I feel like, you know, our Midwestern accents, I feel like, are what you call pure English. <laughs> Rachel, Check that, Queenie. <laughs> Rachel always says that if you want to, she's fluent in Spanish, you know, and she says if you want to learn pure Spanish, you go to Mexico. And so I kind of feel like go to the Midwest if you want to learn to pronunciate your vowels correctly. Jim had lectured me on the way to Cape Cod, and because I said, I can't wait to have some clam chowder. And he said, he just started shaking his head, and he said, you cannot pronounce, go into a restaurant and say chowder. <laughs> and I said, what do you say? And he said, chowder. Chowder. And I was like, I'm sorry, it's spelled E-R. Yeah. The correct pronunciation is Chowder. And he just shook his head and, you know, but I'm sorry, it is, it's an ER at the end. Chowder. Well, so. I mean, they used to, I thought, the TV announcers used to be trained in that Midwest pronunciation. So across the board, at least the national newscasters had that standard Midwest accent. Well, there you go. So, and that was the charming thing, though, about traveling or living in different parts of the country and hearing the local announcers who often have the local pronunciation right, or right. dialect dialect right so my in my perfect world i would say if it's really pronounced morris it should be spelled m-o-r-r-i-s right yes, yeah. but it's spelled m-a-u-r-i-c-e mm-hmm. so Morris. i don't know i don't yeah. know what to say we just we don't want to be idiots you there, know there but. are some of those words though that just don't make sense i mean english mm-hmm. is such a messed up language yeah. like there are so many rules mm-hmm. and pronunciations that don't make sense right so yeah so you say maurice i say morris okay i don't know i don't know what to say about it but we just thought we would let you know that it can go either way well that m book <laughs> that m book right. yeah yeah all right yeah so that's our little recap from yeah little recap (laughs) our quaint little recap from episode 30 and we so now would we like to do the drum roll yes for the winner of our fantastic episode 30 giveaway yes we would as we know it well we know we know but uh (laughs) if you're new to us uh listening to the book cougars every 10 episodes we give away a book or a couple books or two or five that's just whatever we feel like yeah because our 10th episode we did our top ten reads for that moment in time. Right. <laughs> and then we we gave away... What did we give away? We Someone got to pick which oh, one which of one those. which one they wanted. That's yeah. right. Yeah. yeah. So for this time around, we gave away a copy of both of our upcoming reads. Which are The Heart is a Lonely Hunter by Carson, Carson McCullers and Maurice or Morris. Morris. Or M. By Ian, by Ian Forster. Forster. The big M. Right, the yes. big M. And that upcoming read of... Um, the Carson McCullers is for December. Yes. So, yeah. Um, and the winner is. We need sound effects. <laughs> I can't do it. <laughs> there you go. Debbie DeAngelis. Woo woo! Congratulations, Debbie. Shoot us an email with your address, if you don't mind, and we'll get those books to you. 
They'll be coming from book, book depository. Right. So. And I'll actually probably email you, Debbie. We can okay. do a little work. Oh, that's right. We can do some work. <laughs> sure. Well, Emily I'll, can I'll do, do some that. work. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So we'll so, let you know. Yeah. And uh, we look forward to uh, reading with you, Debbie. Yes. Uh, the next two. Well, I guess it's a few months. It's We're going to read months, the de- yeah. December read and a February read for Maurice. Yes, and thanks to everybody who entered to win. We, yeah. we appreciate your enthusiasm and, and look forward to reading. And I promise that I will return some emails <laughs> soon. <laughs> all right, so now with all this traveling, have you had much reading time? What have you uh, just read recently? I have not. I, ironically, even though I was on an airplane, which is typically my favorite time to read, I forced myself to do some work reading mm-hmm. wah, wah, mm-hmm. on the airplane. But I had, did finish one book in the time since we've seen each other last, which was Bluebird, Bluebird by Attica Locke. Um, she is a writer of the t- TV series Empire and um, has some other books also. I've read one of her others, which I talked about in the last episode. Um, and this was an interesting book. It, it was a little bit of a mystery, mm-hmm. which I don't read very often, but... Um, it takes place in present day, and it's a Texas Ranger, an African-American Texas Ranger, um, who is, the book starts where he's on suspension. His, mm-hmm. um, what do you call it? His badge. badge, yeah, has been taken because they think that he interfered with an investigation. Mm-hmm. And so there's a grand jury going investigation going on, and so you're kind of wondering what's going to happen and in the interim, there are two murders that take place, and it's a murder of a black man and a white woman. And what the book really talks to is, you know, the racism that still exists, especially in the Deep South, in our country, and the tension between, you know, a black Texas Ranger, which I didn't really understand what a Texas Ranger is, but they're kind of like above the regular police force, I think. You know, like, if a Texas Ranger walks in the room, it's kind of a big deal. Mm, okay. Right? Yeah, so they have, like, jurisdiction all over the state. Right. Then. Okay. Yeah, and then I think the FBI might be above them, or, yeah. you know, and, and stuff like that. But, um, so he's kind of on suspension, but he goes down to this area and starts to investigate, even though he really isn't, you know, an active Texas Ranger right now. And then it really speaks to the assumptions that are still in place even in this day and age that if a white woman is murdered, a black man is probably going to be blamed for the murder. And so the story goes very deep into lots of different avenues and history of people who, you know, have interracial relationships and how that impacts families because, you know, children can be being raised as a white person or a black person and, um, you know, there's a lot of tensions around that. And I thought it was really well written. Um, she is a lawyer by trade originally, and you know my... <laughs> there you go. Yeah, yeah my, my affinity towards that. Um, and it was, the pacing of it was really good. And I'm having a really hard time concentrating on reading right now because I have a lot swirling around in my brain in my work life. Mm-hmm. And I've been starting and not going in deeper with books, you know, so this yeah. one really held my attention, Very which cool. I appreciated. Yeah. Good to hear. Yeah. It makes me think of one called Darktown. I don't remember the author. I have an arc of it, mm. an advanced reader copy that I haven't gotten to yet. Um, Allison talked about it on one of her recent podcasts, The Literary Atlanta. But it's about African American, the first African American cops in Atlanta mm. and all of what they dealt with mm-hmm. and the restrictions on mm. their, you know, they could only be in uh, black neighborhoods and just all of these different restrictions. And so she had the author on for an interview, which is really interesting. And he has a second book out. 
Oh, cool. um, dealing with some of the same characters. It's not a series. It's a standalone, but it involves some of the same characters. So. I mean, it is interesting. Not only, you know, there's the racism that occurs between white cops and black. Well, in this case, he was a Texas Ranger. But, you know, mm-hmm. it's just, it's deep-seated. And I think that was, you know, I mean, I haven't read any reviews of it or any interviews with her, but I wonder if that was kind of her point also is, you know, this is still here. Mm-hmm. And even in... You know, people who are in positions of power, um, they face racism, too, because right. he does in, in the book. Yeah. Darren is the name of the Texas Ranger. And mm-hmm. He faces his own, you know, racist, you know, rhetoric that people spew to him and things like that. Yeah. So yeah. so I thought it was really good. And it was, you know, present day, which was I, I kind of liked because, I mean... I have I have another book I'm supposed to be reading right now for a book club that's a, you know takes place in the time of slavery and it's just hard for me the abuse and all of that and so this was kind of speaking to the history of how we got to where we are in the country but not going as you know not with characters that are in that era of slavery mm-hmm. so yeah you know still plenty of work to be done as we all know absolutely you know, yeah. But. Like what Barack yeah. Obama went through and right his exactly yeah so Bluebird Bluebird by Attica Locke. Well, the, one of the books I read recently was also a mystery. It is Lost Voyage by Pauline Rosen. And it was the first book I've read by her. It's a, it's just coming out, I think, November 1st it comes mm-hmm. out. I read the book. I don't know. I, would, I, I wouldn't give it a glowing review unless you're really into boats. And that's oh. what drew me to the book. It's a, it's a series. Um, and Rosen has two different series that involve boats, shipping. So it's really cool. I like boats, mm-hmm. you know. Um, so that was a neat aspect of it. But it's uh, it's mainly it's one character who had been in the the British Marines in Iraq and with his partner, his cop partner. They were both injured and discharged, but now they work for an organization, a marine like police organization, and it's kind of piggybacking on I think the last mystery or the, the, the previous book in the series, because okay. there's a, a woman who reaches out to the main character asking for help, and so he, you know, jumps in his ship, his boat, and he cruises over to her, and she gets involved by accident in a plot that goes back in time, something like 12 years before, where this particular ship went missing. Mm. It deals a lot with marine salvage, but this one ship that was being transported to be... Uh, you know, stripped down for parts and whatnot, disappeared. So there's life insurance involved. Mm. There's this mystery involved. There's a young man who was kind of figuring some things out. There's a little art history involved in it. Mm. And, yeah. So, I mean, the the, the idea itself was really good. The execution was lacking. It, the it. writing was really poor. In some mm. parts, it read like a first draft almost. Mm. So for, mm-hmm. the, for that reason, I can't really go all out and highly recommend it. But if you're into boats and you like mysteries, you might want to give it a shot. So that's Lost Voyage by Pauline Rosen. And would you maybe recommend earlier, like the earlier books in the series? I'm going to try. I mean, I liked it enough to try mm-hmm. an earlier one in the series and maybe her first series. This was her second series okay. that she's okay. starting. And she has a bunch of books out, okay. so, you okay. know. Yeah. And again, it was an advanced reader copy. Right. So you never know what does get edited. Right. Yeah. Uh, before release day. So True, yeah. That, I, I should definitely mention that. That could be one reason why it felt like a, not a polished draft. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I, I would like to try it because, you know, I like boats. Yeah. 
action like yeah. that. Um, I didn't read anything oh, okay. else. Well, I've read a couple things because I participated in uh, the readathon. Right, right. Our readathon. I didn't read as much as I had planned, but it was all good. Like I had a super enjoyable day. I did read a graphic novel, The 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg. And that is a book that I won at the Yankee Swap at the last Booktopia oh. that Russell of Ink and Paper Blog brought as his uh, Yankee Swap book. So I was really happy to finally read that. I started the day with it, and it really just set a nice tone. I, I don't read a lot of graphic novels. Like, Mouse is one of my favorites mm-hmm. of all time. That's a good um, one. That is a good one. But I really did enjoy uh, The 100 Nights of Hero, and it's, it's kind of a homage, I guess you could say, to the Arabian Nights and some medieval traditions. It's like a fairy tale, folklore-type situation, but instead of a woman... Well, it is a woman telling a man a story, but the story is about a woman named Cherry who is married to this man but she falls in love with her maid, whose name is Hero. So it's a lesbian love story, and they're telling this man the story to prevent him from basically raping Cherry. Oh, God. Because the whole setup is... And these guys in the the early... I wish I could show you all what it looks like, but head to your bookstore or library and look at it. The two men, kind of towards the beginning of the book, they look like they're like pilgrims almost, you know, with their tall hats and everything. And they're talking about, you know, women and just how untrustworthy they are and whatnot. And one of the men says, well, you know, he loves his wife and he knows that she's trustworthy. And the other the guy dares him, basically. He says, if you leave, I, you know, I will deflower her. Oh my <laughs> so God. that's kind of the setup for the no whole pressure. thing, right? Yeah. <laughs> so um, that is the story, basically, of Cherry and Hero and how they deal with that situation. So part, I, I remember you opening that book or someone mm-hmm. opening it at the Yankee Swap because we were at the same table. Isn't it, um, I, my memory is it's kind of a bigger yes. book. And isn't it black and white? You know what? It is primarily black and white, but I okay. think there's some other colors okay. involved too. Okay. It might be like a tricolor thing. Okay. okay. Yeah. Okay. But I really enjoyed the illustrations and it is an oversized book. Yeah, I remember that. And I remember book. it being beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I really, I think I... Posted a picture or two on my Instagram account. Maybe we can yeah, we'll post that in the show, the show notes, notes just yeah. so you can see the vibe of it. Yeah. Nice. Um, wow. So again, that was The 100 Nights of Hero by Isabel Greenberg. And thanks, Russell. I yeah. Enjoyed it. Nice. Um, I also read, this wasn't on Readathon. Well, okay, so on Readathon Day, I just kind of touched base with a bunch of other books that I was nice. kind yeah. of reading and that I've been kind of ongoing reading. I am currently reading by audio that old Cape Magic by Richard Rousseau. And this is kind of funny. I started it when I was on my way up to Vermont, and I had downloaded it the night before because I'm a huge Richard Rousseau fan, and Mm -hmm. I was like, how could I have not ever read this book? And as soon as I started it, you know, I have a phone that I got probably, I don't know, a few months ago now, Mm -hmm. and it said this book has, has been opened in an earlier on a different device or something oh, like that. And I was yeah. like, really? No, that's ridiculous. You know, and I start listening and of course I'm like, huh, this does sound vaguely familiar, you know, <laughs> but I think it said it had been up to chapter seven or something like okay. that. So anyway, I started listening to it again and actually I feel like I'm really appreciating it because I have recently been to Cape Cod and it's completely Cape Cod centric. And cool. 
the premise of it. It's, you know, as Richard Rousseau always does, he's really just writing about everyday people and mm-hmm. their lives and the cast of characters in their lives. But part of the premise of this book is it's a, um, a middle-aged man whose father has passed away and he and his mother had a, an affinity for the cape and he has his father's ashes in his trunk and he's trying to figure out where to dispose of them. So that's part of the premise of the book. And then also he's on the Cape, heading to the Cape, I think, for a wedding. So I'm not very far into it, but um, as I was heading up north, it was feeling kind of familiar. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I, I would say I'm about halfway through. And the narrator's good. I'm enjoying it. So cool. that old Cape Magic by Richard Rousseau. I want to read. I haven't read anything by him yet, but I do have one of his books. And I think mm. we were probably at a bookstore somewhere and Mm -hmm. I said you know which one's a good one to start with and I picked it up so I love him I think he's just a great writer yeah I highly recommend him and and I saw him at um the Newburyport Festival right this last May or whenever it was I was there April or May well the main book I'm reading right now is uh Powers of Darkness that is the forgotten uh tale of Dracula the one that was from Iceland I think I've talked about it before so I'm I'm just about halfway through it, which is perfect. It's October 30th as we record, and it was a lot of fun to be reading this last night when everything's blowing around <laughs> outside and it's torrential rains, and Laura's like, we need to go move some of the plants, because I had set aside some of the plants. Like, we have these tall plants called curly willows that are in big pots, and they can really get taken down by the wind, and yeah. I had secured a couple, um, but she's like, well, you know, can you help me? I was like, sure. So I run out there pitch black everything's flying around and i hear like a huge crack in the distance i guess transformers are blowing and everything and i'm like this is really dumb i'm reading a vampire novel (laughs) there's gonna be a werewolf in the yard yeah so um i'm really enjoying it a lot and what's interesting too is i've been noticing with the with the name of uh, mina mina is the the main woman character in dracula the original bram stoker but in different stories, she has different names based on, talk again about names, right? And how different areas pronounce different names or shorten different names. In this book, Nina becomes Wilma. Oh, Because of the whole Wilhelmina. Yeah. So, and then in Nosferatu, the movie version, she's Nina. That is set in Germany. So that's an interesting thing, yeah. just to see the different the names that she has. And so far, it's this uh, the powers powers of darkness is very similar to Dracula, but very different, but still very enjoyable. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh, cool. it's just very it's a very different vibe. So that, how Halloweeny of you! I love it. Oh, I love reading this guy. You know, and like so this you know I'm, I mentioned a couple episodes participating in the RIPX twelve yeah. reading challenge. And that starts in September, so it's September and October. But for me, I always feel like it's this time of the year that really kicks off yeah. reading. And I always love to read at least one new vampire-ish novel. Yeah. So yeah. this is this is a good one to have. Just mm-hmm. translated into English for the first time from Icelandic. Just recently. Just recently, yeah. yeah it okay. just came out this spring. Oh, great. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, so check it out. And it's so much fun, but, like, there's this one scene. So Dracula has a big library, and that's one of the conventions in a typical vampire story, if it's done well, uh, <laughs> that there's a library of some kind. Okay. You know, I mean, and think about all the vampire movies you've seen, or even shows like Buffy the Vampire Slayer. The library is where they meet. And... Mm. Uh, so, you know, Dracula has his own library in the castle, 
And for those of you familiar with it, Jonathan Harker is trapped in Dracula's castle. He goes there to do a real estate deal, and Dracula kind of holds him hostage for the most part. So Jonathan Harker, at the point where I'm reading right now, is he knows something really bad is going on, and Dracula is telling him, you know, I want you to stay longer. He feels like he's having a nervous breakdown, but Dracula says to him, you know, use my library. You'll, there's a lot, of good le- a lot of good legal books in my library. So there's this, uh, I'll just read this part. So Jonathan's been going on about how he's fearing for his life, blah, 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 blah. I've always been known to be an impassive person and have aimed not to let others unduly influence me. This is the first time that I've felt seriously compelled to bow to someone else's will. If only I had some task at hand so that I would not feel so restless. I'm now starting to write an essay for the law journal on the legal procedures of Hungary, present and past. <laughs> and I just think like, that is such a funny juxtaposition because it's, you know, technically his journal that he's writing. Right. So here he yeah. is fearing for his life and his sanity. And then he's like, I'm now writing right. an article for a law journal. So I thought that was kind of funny. So I'm going to pass the time when I'm in Dracula's castle. Totally. So again, that's Powers of Darkness, that's the so Lost funny. Version of Dracula by Bram Stoker. And Valdemar S. Munson mm-hmm. is the guy who originally translated into Icelandic. Great. And Hans, From the Icelandic. Yeah. No, he translated it into Icelandic. Oh, got it. Got yeah, it. Okay, and the man yeah. who translated it back into English now, that version, got it. is Hans Cornel de Roos. Okay. So what happened was, like, in Valdemar, he and Bram Stoker were in communication about the story. And Bram was quite happy to have it translated into Icelandic. But no one knew that that translation varied so dramatically from mm. Bram Stoker's original right. Dracula until recently when, you know, some of these Dracula scholars started right. reading and obviously somebody who knew Icelandic right. started reading and thinking like, wow, this is like wildly different. So that's why they translated that translation into English. Got it. So, so it's so cool. Hear. Yeah. So if you're into translations of anything, um, it, it would probably be a lot of fun for you to read the original Dracula, and then this translation. And if you read Icelandic, that would just Go be for an it. extra special treat. <laughs> Boy, Chris, I feel like maybe you're missing your true calling. You could have been a Dracula scholar. Why did you pass up that I opportunity? I know, you know, had I been born a little bit later. No, I don't know. I'm just being born later. Yeah. Anyway, but anyway, you kind of are a Dracula well, you scholar know in I my eye. Tra- are you reading anything else? Yeah, you know, I'm reading all of the, you know, like the How to Read Water, The Hidden Life of Trees, The Leader's Bookshelf, all books that I've kind of mentioned. Yeah. So I'm still, I got into that trap. And actually one of my friends had just asked me this weekend if I read more than one book at a time. And I was like, you know, usually not. Sometimes I do. I'm, I can never read two novels at the same yeah. time. Like, yeah. that would be too confusing for me. But now I've, instead of just having like one novel going in a nonfiction book and maybe an audio book, I, I have all of these books. So my goal in the next two weeks is to kind of wrap up all of those books mm, and yeah. then clean start it up. fresh. Yeah. Yeah. Clean, yeah. clean up my... Yeah, coming to the end of the reading. year. Yeah. What about Biblio Adventures? I know you had visitors, so did you have any time to go on some Biblio Adventures? You know, I did. I I took a day off, and I drove up to Jaffrey, New Hampshire, mm. uh, to do a pilgrimage to Willa Cather's grave. Um, nice. She's buried there with her partner, Edith Lewis. And the last time I was there, 
there were like two to three feet of snow. Like the snow was up to my thighs practically. Um, and I wanted to go back in without snow because Edith's headstone is a flat one on the ground. So I wanted to be able to see hers and Willa's kind of, you know, it's a headstone that stands up. But there were some, there are some other really fascinating headstones there that I mm. wanted to revisit. And one of them has stayed on my mind since, since I saw it. It was a man, his name was Amos Fortune, was his name, and his headstone reads, Sacred to the memory of Amos Fortune, who was born free in Africa, a slave in America, he purchased liberty, professed Christianity, lived reputably, and died hopefully, November 17th, 1801. His estimated age was 91, and his wife is buried next to him. Sacred to the memory of Violet, by sale the slave of Amos Fortune, by marriage his wife, by her fidelity his friend, and solace, I think that's solace, she died his widow, September 13th, 1802, estimated 75 years old. Mm. So, I mean, there. this is a, a graveyard with some fascinating mm. history in it. Um, yeah. But that's where Willow was buried, chose that as her resting place, because she would go to Jaffrey, New Hampshire, every fall, or a lot of falls, to write. Mm. Um, she stayed at, at an inn there, and then some friends had pitched a tent behind a farm they were renting, and she would write in the tent. Mm. So she wrote a lot of My Antonia there, and One of Ours, um, and, and other things she wrote there. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So no snow on the ground this time. No snow. So it was a really gorgeous fall day. It was a little overcast, and but it was beautiful. I mean, the colors mm-hmm. up there were just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And um, Lori, one of my blogger friends, had and she lives up in that area, had reached out and said, hey, are you coming up? Because it's gorgeous here right now. Mm-hmm. And unfortunately, I couldn't go when she was off because um, my Mondays are booked lately. And so I took a Tuesday and went up there, and it was a great drive. And, nice. and then so I asked Lori, I was like, where should I, what other bookish things should I do? And she said, go to Toad School Bookshop. And there's three in, in the area. There's three of them in New Hampshire. So, but she said Petersboro would be the nearest to where I was. They, were, they also have locations in Milford and Keene. And Toad School was a really awesome bookstore. I loved it. Um, I guess the, chain, the first location started in 1972. I'm not sure which one it was. But it's a great bookstore. It's a new bookstore. Like, they sell new books. But they also have a used section, hmm. and they have a cafe. Oh, nice. So I I had a great time. I have been looking for a book called Saucy, which is a book I read as a kid, and they had a copy there. Like, I mean, oh. and they, I don't usually look at kids' picture books, but yeah. they had this gorgeous display, like these three face-out displays, almost like a magazine rack. Mm-hmm. Um, but they had all of these kids' picture books faced out in the used section, Old books, you know, slightly, uh, all of them were in really good shape. But, you know, these that I was attracted to were from the 60s when I was mm-hmm. a kid. So I saw Saucy there, and I was like, out loud. I was like, no way. And I, <laughs> <laughs> so I stood there, and I reread Saucy. And that's by Martha McKean Welch. Oh, nice. And then I also saw another one that I loved from childhood called Cannonball Simp. And that one is by John Burningham. So I read both of those just kind of standing there. And I actually carried Saucy around with me because I thought, oh, I'm going to get it. Yeah. 
But then I decided not to. I decided to leave it there for some yeah. kid to hopefully find and fall right. in love with. Oh, what a so, nice little memory. That was so though. much fun. Yeah. Walk down memory lane, I guess. So, yeah. and then I also found, um, I got two first edition Willa Cather novels there. Oh. I, um, and this one, A Lost Lady, is, it's a first edition. Um, it has some handwriting in it, which I usually don't buy, but it's somebody who's really having a conversation with the text. Hmm. And and I like that. Yeah. So because you feel like you get to know the person who was reading, so that that was fun. And then this one part, I thought I would just read this once, uh, like a long sentence or a couple sentences. Um, so this is kind of towards the end of the book. And for those of you who don't know a lost lady, it is one of Cather's probably more popular novels nowadays. Or more read novels. A lot of people really love the story. It's about a woman, Mrs. Forrester. And this young man's kind of infatuation with her. And really all of these people's infatuation with her. And one of its claims to fame is that Fitzgerald based his Daisy in The Great Gatsby. Uh, He didn't necessarily base it, but he felt like he was influenced by it. And he actually wrote Willa Cather a letter saying, you know, I love a lost lady and I apologize, but I think I might have plagiarized it a bit mm. when I wrote this character. So she and Willa Cather wrote back saying, I read The Great Gatsby and I loved it and it's beautiful and you have nothing to worry about. No worries. No yeah. worries. So, but anyway, I'll just read this and then those of you listening could see what you think about The Great Gatsby. He would like to call up the shade of young Mrs. Forrester as the witch of Endor called up Samuels and challenge it, demand the secret of that ardor. Ask whether she had really found some ever-blooming, ever-burning, ever-piercing joy, or whether it was all fine play-acting. Probably she had found no more than another, but she had always the power of suggesting things much lovelier than herself, as a perfume of a single flower may call upon the whole sweetness of spring. Mm. So just, you know, that what Mrs. Forrester evokes Mm -hmm. in certain people, kind of like Daisy on how she casts some infatuation on people. But what caught my eye was the person wrote in here, this is writing. Right next uh, to that paragraph. I was like, that's awesome. That's great. Yeah. Well, that's the oh. one Cather book that I have on my shelf that you recommend. I think yeah. you bought it for me, actually. I think I did, too, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so that... Yeah, that's that, a, I, I want to read it. That's exciting, a first edition. Yeah, and I don't think I have a first edition of that one. Not that I've been collecting them, but I, I think, obviously, I, I'm starting to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and I also got a, a copy of My Mortal Enemy, a better copy than the one I currently have. But what was really exciting there, too, was finding a copy of Ma- Maud Martha by Gwendolyn oh, Brooks. yeah, yeah, yeah. Because um, when we put out the call on Goodreads for people to recommend books for our next read-alongs, Robin, who I think is in Sacramento, recommended Maud Martha. And I didn't know that Gwendolyn Brooks wrote a novel. I thought she was just a poet. I, yeah, and yeah. that was my familiarity yeah. with her, too. So I was another low way like this book is here i'd never heard of it somebody recommended it and there it was and what's really neat is on the back there's a blurb from several people um, but one of them being richard wright and he says there is no self-pitying nor a striving for efforts she takes hold of reality as it is and renders it faithfully the whimper of the wounded the tiny accidents that plague the lives of the desperately poor color prejudice 
Mm. Richard Wright. Because this is a, it's a novel about, well, as this blurb says, it captures the essence of black life. It's about a woman's quest for love and life despite the difficulties of her time period. Mm. 92nd Street Y is doing a big celebration of her this year. Are they really? Yeah, because it's some, I don't know, in the She was born in 1917, I think. Oh. Yeah, she, oh, yeah, so. oh Maud Martha was born in 1917. Oh, okay. Gwendolyn Brooks, I'm not sure. I mean, I saw her speak in the 90s when I was in college, mm-hmm. and she was, like, pushing 80 probably yeah. already, and that was, yeah. you know, the 90s. So she could have been born mm-hmm. around that time, too, so maybe mm-hmm. it's her centennial yeah. of her birth or something. It could be. Yeah, I'll have to look that up, and I'll talk about that the next right. episode because maybe we could yeah, go. Yeah, I'd love to go. Yeah. So they're going to have speakers come in and whatnot? Yeah, I'm not sure. It might be a multi-event sort of celebration. I, yeah. I can't remember. I just have been getting, you know, head, or what do you call it, notices about it, I think, okay. in my email. So I'll look at, I'll look at that. Very yeah, cool. Yeah, that's yeah. cool. That was a fun trip. You know what? It was a lot of fun, and I... I was feeling a little pressure just because, you know, things have been busy and we've had some guests here and there, mm-hmm. but I thought I really want to do it. Yeah. And I know if I wait too long, because last year we had our first snow on November 27th, mm-hmm. I think, and I figured the way this year is going. Yeah. I mean, I'm lucky I know what month it is, right, I know. so <laughs> if I waited too much longer... Well, I was supposed to go see Gabrielle Zevin at RJ Julia, but that event was canceled. So that was a drag. But then I ended up going to the event that you said you (laughs) were going to go to with Denise Kiernan, who wrote The Last Castle, which is um, a nonfiction piece about the Biltmore Estate Mm -hmm. down in Asheville, North Carolina. And I had met her at Booktopia Asheville several years ago with her book, The Girls of Atomic City. And she's a very compelling speaker. I mean, I remember that about her. Mm-hmm. She was a jur- is a journalist by trade and just incredibly knowledgeable about what she's writing about. She's, she's you know, um, gregarious and she has kind of a cool look. And you just kind of, you just are mesmerized by what she's talking about. And um, I went with our mutual friend Emily and at the end I just said, God, I wish I could, you know, be able to talk so eloquently and so knowledgeably about something. You know, like, I like I can't remember <laughs> anything. But she also had a cool slideshow, which was neat. Oh. And, um, you know, it's it's the biggest house in the world, I think. In the world, wow. I think. I mean, definitely in this country. Yeah. But I thought it was. But I could be wrong about that. And, um, you know, she talked a lot about the history of why and how it was built, including... They were very careful about how they harvested the trees and how they managed the forest. Mm. And um, they brought someone in from Germany to do the forest management because nobody here really knew how to do it. Mm-hmm. And it's because it was managed so well during the project, that's why the Biltmore State is surrounded and why Na- Asheville is known as a great place to go hike and enjoy nature because there's beautiful forest all around and because nobody knew how to manage the forest, they actually started a forestry school when this guy was there, this German guy was there, whose name, I'm sorry, I don't remember. But um, So it's an interesting story. She only wrote up until the time of the 70s, the time period you know, of, of when it was built, which I believe was the 20s through the 70s. She's not dealing with present day, and it was interesting when the, t- the time for questions came. Everybody wanted to know, like, what was happening now? Yeah. And she just didn't bite. And I don't know mm-hmm. if part of that was, you know, a lot happened in that time. It was plenty of time to cover in the book. But I also wondered if she kind of wanted to stay away from any 
possible, you know, like what's happening with the family now or anything like that. But um, it is very expensive, I guess, to tour the estate now because it's expensive to maintain it and to Mm -hmm. pay the property taxes and all of that. Yeah. Um, But it was a great event. I really like her. If you you see her coming, because she has a pretty big book tour. Mm -hmm. If you see her coming to your area, I highly recommend that you go because it's just an entertaining evening. That's great. I'm so glad you got to go. Yeah, (laughs) me too. Me too. Very cool. And then I went to West Hartford to the town hall there, which was a really cool building, to go see Anna Quinlan mm-hmm. speak for West Hartford did this, like, communities do a one-read type of a celebration sponsored by the libraries there. And Anna Quinlan was the author they chose this year. And she's a good author to choose, I think, because she has a host of nonfiction and fiction writing. Mm-hmm. And um, you were on tap to go with me and unfortunately yeah, couldn't I had signed off. both you and Jim up because Jim's the one that told me about it mm-hmm. so he was quite unsure about whether he wanted to go he'd never been to a book event of this type and then for it to be you know a, a, a very woman-centric writer and I said to him it's probably going to be a little political and it'll be very female because mm-hmm. she is you know she writes about the female experience and also has strong opinions you know And um, it was packed. I mean, standing room only. They had what was kind of cool. They had a a jazz pianist and bass player when you were coming in for the for the first hour, which Mm -hmm. I was like, this is so civilized, you know. So that was kind of nice. Um, And we listened. She she was very compelling. I've seen this. I think this is my third time getting the chance to see her speak. And. Um, one a, f- a few of the statements that she said is one of the best ways to understand people is to read, and books are one of the great purveyors of truth, which is why the Nazis burned books. Mm-hmm. And um, she talked about how she feels like she she also is a journalist by trade, and she talked about how she thinks journalists are the only thing between um, us and anarchy right now <laughs> in our country, yeah. and that they're doing a really good job, and it's really important that we continue to support journalists. Um, And then the other thing she said that I thought was really lovely, she said, readers are the world's greatest empaths. And she talked about how important reading was to her as a child and how her mom used to, you know, stand at the window and say, Anna, you know, there's a bunch of children outside playing, (laughs) you know, and she'd be on her couch reading yet another book. Um, And she also talked about going to college and how there really weren't very many female writers for her to look up to. Mm -hmm. And, um... You know, she talked a lot about Jane Austen and the importance of her writing, and it was very compelling. I really oh. enjoyed it. Um, I was completely mesmerized by her, and it was mostly women, so I give mad props to Jim. You know, there was maybe a handful of men there, and he mm-hmm. was one of them, and he did really enjoy it. He thought she was very compelling. Um, we didn't stay. We stayed for a couple questions, and then we left because we were both tired and hungry. Yeah. <laughs> But it, like, she's another one. If you get a chance to read her writing, um, I just I feel like she's always kind of hip to what's happening in the world. She used to write that you know the essay piece in the back of mm-hmm. Newsweek, I yeah. think. Yeah. And um, she writes about the life of her children, and she's a grandmother now. And and then her fiction, I think, is really entertaining as well. Mm-hmm. So. Cool. So Anna Quinlan. Yeah, Anna Quinlan. Yeah. yeah. Well, otherwise we had well our friends Erin and Kristen who are in town. We. I ended up doing some literary things while they were here because Erin's really into libraries too. So we went to the Branford Library. Mm-hmm. Those of you who are in the area, the Branford, uh, the Blackstone Library in, in Branford is definitely worth a stop in to see because it, it is a gorgeous library. 
And then we also went to the Sterling one day mm-hmm. at Yale. And then also the Beinecke was open on Saturday. Oh, nice. They're giving special tours. Um, I think it might have been Parents' Day, too. I'm not really sure. There were more than usual uh, parental-type people yeah. walking around, it looked like. But um, they have a new exhibit there on... I don't remember the man's name, but he was a collector in Japan who had the the largest medieval English collection mm. in existence in mm. private hands that the Beinecke purchased not too long ago. And they now have this fantastic exhibit. So if you're into medieval mm. literature, yeah. check it out. It's I want to go back because we were just kind of popping in and actually Ray Clemens who's a friend and who's also the curator of that collection was giving lectures. So ah. unfortunately uh, we didn't, you know, get to hear that. Cause we, like I said, we were just popping in, but yeah. it looks great, but fantastic manuscripts well, and such great diversity too. Well, and you live so close, so, yeah. you know, you can pop back in again. Exactly. So that's nice. Yeah. Excellent. Those are great libraries to show people. I mean, the Blackstone, I drag everybody who comes to visit yeah. me to that one. Cause I just feel like, you know, um, it's just such, it's so beautiful. It is. It's yeah. gorgeous. And the yeah. sister library to that is in Chicago. Oh. The Blackstone in Chicago in Hyde Park, which is actually, it was the first satellite library for the Chicago Public Library System. Oh. And that was built by, so the Blackstone here was built for the father and then the Blackstone in Chicago was built for the woman's husband, I think, is how it goes. Oh. I have to, I've written blog posts about both of them okay. because we were here visiting when we found, you know, discovered the Blackstone. Yeah. And then, um, you know, I'd been trying to visit as many libraries in the Chicago area. So when I visited that one in Hyde Park, I was like, get out. Oh. What a weird connection. Yeah. And they're both, you know, I think the Blackstone was built in like 1895. Mm. And I that the one in Chicago, pretty close. I think within ten or twenty years that mm. was built. So, cool. just so much fun to see yeah. libraries and and the architecture. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. yeah. Upcoming Johns. Yeah, I have um, an exciting one actually. November 9th at R J Julia, David Leibovitz is coming. He has a new book um, called "The Delights and Disasters of Making My Paris Home." He has written um, both nonfiction about... He used to be a chef, I believe, at Chez Panisse, which is a very famous restaurant owned by Alice Waters in Berkeley, California. And then he moved to Paris and still somehow maintained his relationship to Chez Panisse for a while. But then he started... He's lived in Paris for years and he's written cookbooks. I have his ice cream cookbook called The Perfect Scoop. Oh, wow. Which is probably my favorite cookbook on my shelf Is it actually really? yeah i love An to make ice cream, ice cream. Oh, yeah that's so neat. and it's a fantastic book and his recipes are just great and um it's a it's another book you can kind of he has little you know paragraphs on each recipe and his writing is really interesting so this is a, a work of nonfiction. it's not a cookbook mm-hmm. this new book that he's um coming um coming out with and so i'll be going to rj's on november 9th cool and then I have an exciting trip that's going to take me out of town to the Berry Center down in Kentucky. Oh, neat. Yeah, I have a meeting exciting. down there in a couple of weeks, and the Berry Center houses all of Wendell Berry's works, and then books he recommends that people read, and mm-hmm. so I'm, 
I'm already trying to figure out, like, I have a day of meetings, and I'm flying in the day before and out the next day. Like, I got to have time to explore the center. So hopefully um, they'll let me do that, even if it's after hours or something. So more to come on that. Exciting. Nice. Well, I'll be going to see um, the, the New York Society Library has a Willa Cather and Edith Lewis exhibit that just opened on Monday, last Monday, I think it was. And that will be going through August, but oh, Willa great. Cather and Edith Lewis were members of the Society Library for decades. And so this new exhibit highlights some of the books they checked out and uh, has a recollection of a conversation that another member of the library had with Willa Cather, mm. and that was Truman Capote. Mm. So their encounter, and then and, and there's an essay, uh, and just some some of the, the library cards with their names on it. I'm not oh. sure of the details, yeah. but I do want to go and check yeah. it out. It looks like it'll be a lot of fun. I was invited to go to the opening, but I wasn't able to make that mm. either, unfortunately. So Maybe it's a joint jaunt. May, well, I, no. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> It's going to be a date day with Laura. Oh, good. Yeah. All right. Yeah. That's right. Because we're likes going in. Yeah, we're going to have yeah. dinner with a yeah. friend. And, okay. and yeah, so. Well, never mind yeah. then. I think you're. I think it's okay for you to spend a little time with Laura. Oh, uh, yeah. She, she appreciates it. <laughs> I'm sure that. she really appreciates it. <laughs> oh, um, well, I have till August to get there. So yeah. That's good well, and I'm sure I'll be happy to go back again. Okay. Definitely. All right. Yeah. Well, good. I'm there. <laughs> High five. <laughs> Yeah, so that I'm looking forward to that. And otherwise, you know, I know I've clicked I'm interested in a lot of mm-hmm. events on Facebook lately, but I haven't even gone and put things on my calendar yet. Yeah, so that's but kind of important to do always, for me anymore. Yeah, it's yeah. a good time of year for events. Yeah. As you probably know from whatever's going on in your hometown mm-hmm. listeners. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, get out yeah. there and, and send us emails and tell us what you're doing. We would love to know. Yeah, or put that pictures on our Facebook page yeah. of, like, author events you're attending, because that'd be fun, too. Yeah, I would love yeah. to see that. We yeah. Emily saw a little free library when you were in Denver, mm-hmm. and we put that picture on our Facebook page and asked other folks to post a picture of their little free library once that they see. And one of our friends did. Yeah, Julia yeah. posted hers. And she posted a picture of her library, and then she posted a picture of her two dogs, Abbott and Costello, which yes. cracked me up in front of her library, which was so sweet. Yeah, and she's in Montana. Yeah. So it'd be yeah. fun to see little free libraries from around the country. Yeah, please do um, send us pictures. Because this one that we posted, I thought it was so cute because it was just a mailbox. Mm-hmm. So it was really small. There weren't that many books inside, but so easy, you yeah. know? So, yeah. Cool. Well, what about upcoming reads, Chris? One of them, uh, one of them. One book that I definitely want to read soon. It's one I recently won from the, uh, the German book office run by the Frankfurt mm-hmm. Book Fair here in New York. It's a Hans Falada novel called Nightmare in Berlin. Mm. And he wrote during the Nazi era. He's one of the a writer who chose not to leave, like Thomas Mann and a lot of mm-hmm. other writers, you know, scientists, a lot of people left, but he chose to stay and was an alcoholic. He was also put, I think, in an insane asylum for a while mm. because he butted heads with the Nazis and he was trying to write. So his books were banned for the longest time. They're being translated into English more and mm. more. This Nightmare in Berlin was written, it came out in 1947, so it's a post-war book. One book that has been translated into English, and I know is getting a lot of reading, is Alone in Berlin, 
which a movie was made out of it not too long ago. Hmm. So, but they're really, uh, it's an intense book. Uh, Alone in Berlin was about this couple during the war whose only son is on the East Front somewhere, and they eventually start getting disgruntled. Or they've never been, they've never embraced the Nazi ideology, but they've tried to survive, and it's them kind of reaching a breaking point mm. and starting to try and do small acts of rebellion. Yeah. And Nightmare in Berlin, I'm not sure what it's about, but it was first translated into English in 2016. Wow, that's exciting. Yeah, so I oh. look forward to reading that one. Yeah. I'll, we'll see yeah. <laughs> when I start that. How about you? I have um, an, one that Russell recommended for when I was going on vacation. I kind of put something out saying, hey, what should I take? And unfortunately, it didn't come in from the library um, until recently, but it's called Eleanor Oliphant is Completely Fine by Gail Honeyman. I don't know much about it except that I've seen a lot of people um, like it, you know, that I follow on Goodreads. And it was recently in the seven day at our library, too. Mm -hmm. So usually those don't make it to seven day unless they're popular. Mm -hmm. So um, I think it's a light read, which is probably why Russell recommended it. Maybe funny. I don't know. And then I also have an audio um, in my queue, The Bees. By Lonnie Paul, I think that's how you pronounce it. This was a lot of people were talking about this one last year or the year before because I think yeah. it's from the perspective of a bee or yes, something. Yes, I started yeah. reading it and yeah. it's it was I didn't finish it. I didn't. I gave it maybe not even twenty pages okay. and I just wasn't in the mood for it at the time. But yes, it's mm-hmm. from the perspective of a bee, of a bee in yeah. my life. And so it seems like it could be really good on audio. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. More to come on Ooh, that. Yeah, especially if there's yeah. background noises. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's another book I'm going to probably read sometime soon. It's a Tess Gerritsen, her latest, I Know a Secret, that her publicist sent us. Right. Here to the book Cougars. And I haven't read her. I've been wanting to. I know a lot of people who love her books, including our mystery man, John mm-hmm. Valerie, who talked about her on whatever episode that was when we had him on as a guest. But I just, I opened it and the first sentence is, when I was seven years old, I learned how important it is to cry at funerals. Mm. I was like, well, that kind of sucks yeah. you in and wants you to <laughs> want to learn more about what's going on there. Yeah, and she's interesting. She's the author that is a trained MD and was a doctor, or maybe still is, I'm not sure. And um, now is a very, you know, best-selling author. Yes. So. Yeah, um, she has the series, the Rizzolian Isles series on TNT. Right, right. and this yeah. is a book in that series, right? Yes, yeah, I believe so. Yeah, I think so. it's yeah. the most recent. Yeah, so more to come on that. Yes. Very cool. Yeah, Boston PD detective and medical examiner. Yeah, okay. More to come. More to come. All right, Drum everybody. <laughs> Thanks That's for listening. It. That was a quick episode. Yeah. Wow. Well, Happy reading. Happy reading. Thanks so much for listening to The Book Cougars with Emily Fine and Chris Wallach. If you have questions or comments, please feel free to email us at bookcougars at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter under Book Cougars. Please consider leaving us a review on whatever app you use to listen to us. It can help other listeners find us. Thank you. Oh.